Hey, it's Kristen. You're listening to Rational in Portland. Thank you for joining us on Rational in Portland. My guest on this episode is Brian Gardner, who is a personal trainer here in downtown Portland. Some of you know that I'm a longevity, fitness, and nutrition nerd who is obsessed with people like Dr. Peter Atia, who hosts the Drive podcast. Part of that likely stems from the fact that my family tree has Dutch elm, and I'm about to outlive both of my parents. Breon is a wealth of knowledge, not only about longevity and fitness, but about life in general. I think you're going to enjoy him just as much as I did. He has a beautiful family. He has a wife and and young children, and he runs a gym in the Bank of America building in downtown Portland. So those of you who are unlike city workers willing to go into downtown regularly and go into your offices, please go see Breon. It's called the Body Balance Techniques Gym at 121 Southwest Morrison Street, Suite 225. Breon has trained everyone from Super Bowl champions on the Denver Broncos to professional bodybuilders. He was in the Air Force as an intelligence operator. He earned a BA in exercise and sports science. He's a second-degree black belt and mixed martial arts champion, USA boxing coach. You don't need to be self-conscious with him, though, as he'll explain. He works with everybody from professional athletes to people who've never exercised in their lives to people who need help with what many of us might think are the simplest of tasks. For instance, he has a story about how he helped a woman just get out of a chair. His personal training practice is built on science, data, compassion. He will help you reach your full potential. He's also really smart, really funny, and he's an engaged, civic-minded Portlander, which there are so few and far in between people like that because they're you know we've all got just got our nose to the grindstone trying to trying to support our family and Brianna is doing that too but he is also very civic minded and as a black man who runs a small business in downtown Portland the whitest big city in America he's got a really unique perspective and I can't wait for all of you to hear him before we get to Brianna though I was recently on the Brandy Cruz show For those of you who don't know, her name is spelled B-R-A-N-D-I. Last name is K-R-U-S-E. And she's got a show out of Seattle, Washington. She had a show on Fox in Seattle. She's a professional broadcaster. But she's since started her own show online called Undivided. She's on Twitter at Brandy Cruz. She has a gigantic following. She also has an Instagram under Cruise News, K-R-U-S-E-N-E-W-S. She comes from the center right politically. I think we 
probably disagree about a fair amount. But she and I connected at a gala in Seattle to celebrate the North America Recovers Coalition that I was invited to join by Michael Schellenberger, who wrote the book San Francisco and ran for governor of California, and Andrea Suarez of We Heart Seattle. And I credit Marissa Gaston from We Heart Seattle with connecting Brandy and I, because right away she knew that that was a, for whatever reason, she had the foresight to understand that Brandy and I would have some kind of connection despite any political differences we might have. And we certainly did. And uh, she invited me to come on her show very generously. And I found her to be very enjoyable. And she laughed out loud when I told her that I started this podcast as a self-identified progressive. And you know what? I laughed along with her because I just find her to be so smart and insightful and interesting. And there's a lot that Brandy and I agree on. And I think the fact that she was willing to take a chance on some Portlander Democrat and have me on her show speaks volumes about how much more centrist probably and uh, uniting than, you know, what some people would say that she is, which is, you know, the criticism is she's some kind of right wing nut job, but she absolutely is not. She is able to find areas of common ground that people can agree on. And I really respect that. I absolutely love that she can do that and that there are so many people following her and willing to engage with her and her ideas and she'll engage right back. I mean, if you send her a message or shoot her an email, she will respond to you. She's got almost a hundred thousand followers on Twitter and there are very few people like that. Certainly very few media personalities who are able to find common ground with others and have deep conversations about policy. And I found her to be really smart, likable, and professional. So I'll link to that appearance in the show notes if I'm able to do that. I know she has a Patreon and I certainly encourage everybody to support her. It's only like $5 at the entry level to support her. So it's, you know, she's not making Elon money off of this. This is, this is something that she should be paid for. She spends about 80 hours a week, she said, doing this show, and she should be paid for it, and she should be paid well, but the entry-level subscription fee is just so minimal, and she's so great. I really encourage everybody to subscribe to that, so I will link to her subscription page, and I'll see if I can link to my appearance on her show in the show notes. Now, please enjoy my guest, personal trainer and small business owner in Portland, who runs the Body Balance Techniques Gym in downtown Portland, Breon Gardner. And you can find him online. You can go ahead and just find him at bodybalancetechniques.net. And his phone number is 503-295-1900. Give him a call, set up a session with him, and see what you think. I think you're really going to enjoy not just what he can do for you physically and and the gaps that he sees in your current regimen, but I think you're just going to enjoy him as a person and you're going to want to go train with him because he's so darn smart and likable and good Lord, this man is a walking advertisement for what he does. I mean, he's absolutely, he looks like a professional bodybuilder. So, you know, that that's the kind of personal trainer you want. You want somebody who looks like they know what they're doing and that's him. 
Please enjoy my guest, Breon Gardner. Breon, so good to see you. I was reminded how civic-minded you are when I saw you in an ad for Renee Gonzalez, our current city councilor who was recently elected. You were a relatively big supporter then, obviously. Avid, yes. Because you're a busy guy. You've got kids. How many mm-hmm. kids do you have? Two. And you've got this personal training business. Yes. And you're, is it is it a small business? Are you on your own? It, it's a small business. I am a sole proprietor, yes. What's it called? It's called Body Balance Techniques, and it's at uh, 121 Southwest Morrison Street. Uh, that's 2nd uh, Avenue between Morrison and Alder Streets on the second floor of uh, what was the Bank of America Financial Center. Um, I think the building lost... B of A as its bridge tenant. And so the name on the outside of the building will change. Um, I don't know what it will be yet. But um, yeah, it's that building on uh, 2nd and Morrison right across the street from Nordstrom Rack, Moda Health, um, et cetera. So the business is mine. I pay um, just like- The gym itself is yours. Yes. Yeah. So I lease a space from the building for the business. I got it. And and I've I've owned it for 16 years. Wow. Congratulations. So you built all that out yourself. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's really impressive. Every piece of equipment, every trainer. Yeah. Yeah. It's been been a wild ride. Well, I know so many people who- not only train with you and respect you so much, but who maybe just because of training, you're maybe, I don't know if you found that like, it's kind of like a bartender experience. It's amazing how it much is. my friends who train with you know about <laughs> you personally. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I mean, some of my best friends have come through my job. Um, I moved here in 2005-ish. I say 2006 because that's when things settled between uh, moving from Denver and really landing and finding a house and all that. Where did you grow Um, up? uh, Missouri, the boot heel, uh, southeast Missouri. So between um, St. Louis and Sykeston, uh, which is kind of on the east uh, border, east uh, coast of Missouri, uh, southeast coast of Missouri. So you went from Missouri to Denver when? When was that? Uh, so I joined the Air Force out of high school and uh, to, you know, pay for college and see the world and kind of change my circumstances. And um, talk, talk about your circumstances. Did you grow up relatively yeah, poor? Yeah, you know, um, and and I definitely didn't grow up feeling poor. Um I grew up, however, uh, like a lot of uh, people who come from where I do. Uh, you know, my parents weren't married, and and uh, my dad lived one place, my mom lived another. Uh, my my parents were married when I was in the fifth, going into the sixth grade. Uh, and at that point, they had they got married when you were in the fifth grade. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. And uh, at that point, um, they had seven children, seven boys. I'm the third of, of they seven. They had already boys. had seven boys. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're, we're all at the wedding. If you uh oh, if you look at wedding photos, um, uh, it's my brothers and I doing things, you know, uh <laughs> young boys do. You know, we're kind of posing and we're kind of in the background with peace signs and you know, uh but yeah, it's it's really cute. And uh they've been together since forever. Uh, they just hadn't gotten married. Were you happy that they were getting married, or were you thinking what are you 
Dude, yeah, this is stupid. Yeah. No, yeah, I was. You know, we thought it was cool, but um, I think it's my grandparents' generation, we knew lots and lots of married grandparents. But to be honest, I didn't have a lot of black friends whose parents were married. I had some white friends, most of whom uh, had married parents. So, excuse me. So and people can't see you. So you're you're black, and you're saying that that your white friends had married parents, but your black peers didn't. Yeah. So it was normal. It wasn't as if uh, my parents, being kind of long term boyfriend and girlfriend, was any different than the other people I grew up around when we lived in uh, the projects. After my oh, you parents actually were did live in the housing projects. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. In my in my early life, and then after my parents were married, we moved to the suburbs. My dad was always a primary breadwinner. Um, what did your dad do? Uh, my dad worked for uh, Ma Bell, Southwest Bell. Yeah. And my mom was a nurse. Started as a oh, nurse's wow. aide. Uh, she held a number of jobs when we were little and living with just her. My dad had his own place. Um, you know, my mom uh, was a nurse's aide. She worked at a gas station. She cleaned houses. She worked in cotton fields and, you know, things of that nature um, to raise us as well as having been on That's welfare. Amazing. And um, eventually, uh, when my dad decided it's time to get married, we all moved in together. They were eventually married, and you know, life changed pretty significantly. And then she had the space to go back to school, right? Because she had and she had a co-parent in the yeah, home. yeah, and she continued nursing, and she kind of elevated that career over time, and and she kind of lived out the latter part of her career from you know candy striper to nurse's aide, et cetera, um, uh, working as a nurse at a retirement facility. And she eventually retired from that, as my dad did from the phone company. And so, did you move to Denver with your with your family, or was that after the Air Force? Oh, after the Air Force. So, so my one of my first duty assignments after tech school and boot camp and all of that was um, was in just outside of Denver, Colorado, um, at uh, uh, oh my god, I can't believe them, uh, Buckley Field. Lowry Air Force Base. Uh, so that was my first experience in Denver. I left there for Germany and did, you know, lots of tours. Uh, this was kind of during the Gulf Did you actually War. fly planes? Uh, no, but my unit was uh, also a mobile unit, which meant we, upon conflict, could perform our jobs remotely, meaning set up shop, and, you know, exit the plane and uh, monitor uh, infrared releases, et cetera, uh, through our data systems job anywhere. So there are five places in the world um, who did the job, who do the job I did when I was in the Air Force. So it's it's pretty intense and pretty dynamic job. How did you end up getting selected and trained for that? Um, when you... Uh, join the military, you take uh, an ASVAB, which is 
basically the SATs of the military. Um, depending on how you score, they tend you towards certain career fields. Um, no offense to uh, infantry, infantrymen or, or, you know, et cetera, but there are some people who are, okay, this person is going to carry a gun as a, as a ground troop. This person is more likely to be successful as an aircraft mechanic. Mm -hmm. This person is more likely to be one of our administrative people, uh, et cetera. And so given my scores, uh, they tended me toward a couple of different career fields. And um, uh, SATCOM was, was the one I selected of the ones they suggested. Wow. So you had all these skills. And then what do you do? Do you... Do you decide to leave the military at some point, I guess? Yeah, so I was never going to be a lifer. I had several uh, family members who were um, in the armed forces. Um, I have two older brothers. I'm the third of seven. Two older brothers who were both in the Army. Um, my best friend in high school and I decided to join the Air Force together. Uh, thinking that we'd do the whole thing in tandem and kind of hang out and go through boot camp. But we ended up um, uh, entering at slightly different times, so I never saw him during that enlistment. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't, my family didn't have enough money uh, for me to go directly to college. I didn't want to work a part-time job or, you know, run track and field or, you know, any of the other potential um, options that might have uh, helped. So I joined the Air Force as a way to kind of change things. For so, myself. like, the, you used the GI Bill then? Yeah, yeah. And then you, did you go to college in Denver? So the... Armed Forces has uh, a system called the CCAF, which is Community College of the Armed Forces for oh, me, Air right. Force. And so while you're in, um, you take classes if you choose to, or yeah. you can wait until you're out and do the whole thing. But I took classes during and then after I got out. Oh, great. Yeah. And and then why do you leave, why do you leave Denver eventually? Um, so I was married. Uh, before now, uh, and my ex-wife was uh, is an attorney. She went to law school at Lewis and Clark, uh, oh, that's funny. and loved and loved Oregon. Um, I was. So you're still in Denver. You're married to this woman who went to law school, at Lewis and, and, and she's Clark. practicing law in Denver. I uh -huh. got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how? And by now, you're what? What are you doing for work? Um, so I was working in fashion. I was. Were you really? Were yeah. you a model? Yeah, I modeled for many, many I mean, it years. Surprise me. That's why I guess. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> so, so um, I was a martial artist. I modeled. I worked in fashion for Saks Fifth Avenue. Uh, yeah, a couple, yeah. couple degrees. Couple. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in multiple. Is that the highest? Forms. So a red belt is kind of the highest of the high. Uh, but yeah, black belt for all intents and purposes. So you probably have red. Uh, so so a red belt is kind of, so 
there is a red belt you can pass through in your typical belting hierarchies. Um, but a red belt also, uh, uh, in, in this sense, is someone who is kind of responsible for the development or creation of a particular um, form of, of martial arts or, or combatives. So uh, there's really no higher belt than a red belt, but all martial arts don't consider red. You consider a black belt, a second degree black belt, a third degree black belt, et cetera. So there are degrees to being a black belt uh, for most martial arts. And, and are you doing like you instruction can. at this point too as uh-huh. a way of making a living? Yeah, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm modeling, I'm working part-time in, in retail and just kind of oh, wow. kind of finding my my way. And then, so you end up in Oregon because your wife wants to come back to Oregon? Yes, yeah. So when I was, so when I was training, so I'm working at, at Saks Fifth Avenue. Um, I'm doing all the things I mentioned. You're doing retail for them. You're modeling for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're, you, you've got these, you know, various other jobs, of uh-huh, course. Uh-huh. A lot and of them fitness related. A lot of them fitness related. But because a couple of my clients were guys like, you know, Rick Smith and, and, um, uh, Ray Crockett and some other guys who were associated with the uh, Denver Broncos. And they were also wow. eventually aware of uh, the fact that um, I studied exercise science. They I was a trainer. I, yeah, yeah. So they were shopping. So you were dressing them. I was dressing but them. But they also knew that you knew about nutrition and fitness. And they got to know me. And so they gave me some opportunities to work with some of those guys. And that's what got me away from kind of the modeling wow. and, and retail work aspect of things and really helped to launch my fitness career. So I kind of went pretty rapidly from um, wanting to be a personal trainer to training some of the best athletes um, on the planet, which gave me a fair amount of notoriety. Um, And and, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Because these are people who need to perform. That's right. And that means you need to do, do everything correctly. That's right. But it also leads to a really good resume. So I ended yes, up working for a, so I ended up working for a, a Colorado Athletic Club, which is kind of like uh, the MAC club here, CAC, MAC, uh, kind of a high-end uh, athletic club. And then from there, um, a buddy of mine uh, uh, opened, he and I started a personal training studio in Denver. Um, and that's kind of how I learned the ins and outs of small business ownership, how to do payroll and what it meant to interview and hire and a lot of work, especially when I think some of my personal strengths are a bit more artistic, Um, uh, you know, martial arts and literature. And like, these are things that I love Uh, training. I absolutely love athletics in general. What kind of literature do you like? Um, I'm a I'm a pretty big poetry guy. Are you really? Yeah. So, uh, what yeah. what's your what's your favorite kind of stuff? Your do you have a favorite era or a favorite? So, of course, the Harlem Renaissance is you know amazing. Yeah. Um, but I'm a big fan of of Octavio Paz and Pablo Neruda. Um, kind of early on, um, I read a lot of all this. 
it just I just always liked to read. You know, I, I was always a fan of of words. And growing up relatively poor, I found kind of peace and um, discovered the world outside of the one I lived in uh, through books. Uh, my brothers and I, in typical kid fashion, were kind of rummaging through my dad's closet one day um, <laughs> because, you know, he kept good stuff in there. And, <laughs> secret stuff. We and, all have those memories. Yeah, yeah. And and so we and found... friends. Oh, yeah. Closets, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And so, you know, you're kind of having fun. So I tell people when they have kids, and I'm like, get a safe. That's right. Be careful. Get a safe. Because you have no <laughs> idea what's going on when you're not there. So, so you know, we try on my dad's leather jacket, and it smelled like him, and it was so cool. And and um, But he had this bag, and, and there were um, spiral notebooks in it. So, you know, open one, and I found out by accident, rummaging through their closets, uh, that my dad wrote poetry. Wow. And the, I don't know, the kind of kinship I felt instantly to him, um, which, you know, of course, he's my dad, I already, already did, but but in a different way because I was such a fan of poetry and such a fan of literature since a really young age was was really profound. And so um, I would sneak in there and... You know, while my my brothers are looking at the Playboy magazines, not that I didn't, but uh, while my brothers are looking at other stuff, I am um, reading his books of poetry and that he had written himself. himself, And it was really, really fascinating. Did he ever learn? Does he know that you know he's a poet? Absolutely. And it became um, uh, something that we shared in common and something that we talked about. Uh, over the years, sadly, my dad passed in October of oh, last I'm year. Sorry. But um, I'm proud to say that I wrote a poem in his honor, in my mom's honor, and uh, read it um, at his uh, service. That's and amazing. you know, it was really, really moving. He's a Vietnam War vet, so you know, the presentation of the flag to my mom and the gun salute and, you know, reading this poem uh, that I'd written to honor him, uh, being there with, you know, all of my brothers and so many other family members. It was really, really amazing and a great way to honor his his life. But What a heartbreaking but incredible experience. Yeah, yeah. And meaningful. It was very meaningful and super moving. It's like if you could script it, it would be the way you would want it to go. Yeah. Which is never how funerals work. Yeah. So thank God it worked that yeah. way because obviously he was really special to you. He really was. He was an amazing man. He really was an amazing man. And uh, I think one of the greatest takeaways uh, for me during that uh, during that time I spent back home for his funeral, we had just been there, so my whole family and I, um, Aaron, my wife now, uh, and our kids uh, went back in July to spend time with him. He was pretty sick by then of last year. And uh, he passed um, in October of last year. But um, spending that time with my brothers and spending that time with my mom and my family. and uh, But then going back for his funeral a few months later, 
I heard so many incredible stories about the way he impacted so many people's lives. And I learned things about him that I didn't know, like songs he had written for the church. Um, so, so my dad, uh, I mean, there's, there's so much background here and I, you know, I won't go too deeply into all of it, but my dad, uh, post Vietnam, I'll say kind of lost his faith, meaning in God, not mm-hmm. just humanity, but in God. He had been a Christian. Yes, raised a Christian, mm-hmm. and I think in a his particular church or uh, Baptist kind sure. of yeah. uh, missionary Baptist. Yep. Um, and I think he felt well. I don't think you know this is based on conversations we'd had. He felt a little bit like what kind of God would allow this kind of suffering? You know, the things he saw. He was injured in Vietnam. He spent a lot of time there. He did a couple of tours. Um, a couple of us were born uh, right during that time frame. So, you know, you come home on leave, you go back to the war. Um, and, you know, my brothers and I were raised during that kind of traumatic era and um during vietnam yeah so, so he but is he in vietnam then going back and forth yes yes from vietnam to back to, to missouri missouri mm-hmm. where his his the, girlfriend all these boys, and, one by one are being yeah born. yeah his so at the time well his, no wonder they didn't get married right away yeah i mean yeah so his girlfriend and infant son my eldest brother uh were um, it didn't, wouldn't even occur to you. Well, first of all, there's the cultural part that you talked about, but also it wouldn't even occur to you. Like you're just you're just trying to get through that next day, either at right. home or overseas, and you might not come back. And that's and, true. and 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 keep in mind, I mean, they were they were teenagers. You know, my mom was was 19 um, when I was born. Wow. And I'm the third. I'm the, the third. third. Yeah. So she started when? Yeah, at 16. Wow. Yeah. Did they finish high school? My mom did not. My dad did. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, and my dad actually did some college after Vietnam. But That's yeah. impressive. And he had to be over there because yeah. that's the paycheck for the family. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and he did And it's a big family. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you have to remember back then it was the draft, right? So it's not yeah. like he had any choice whatsoever. Yeah, my dad was drafted. Yeah. Too. So, you know, uh, having, you know, all these boys and 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 coming back from from war and and still being relatively young. I mean, by the time they were, what, 26 years wow. old, roughly? Yeah. 26, 27? They had seven boys. Wow. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. And uh, <laughs> Yes, it is. But, yeah. But they have the energy to keep up with them. That's yeah. the one thing. Yeah. There are, there are, I'm an older parent, and there are a lot of advantages to being an older parent. Yeah. But... The one thing that I lack, uh, that I wish I had, was the kind of energy that I had in my 20s to just really, um, the stamina, right. you know? Right, Um That you just, you don't, you do lose that. You do, you do. You know, it's my, unfortunate. My mom is, and you know, everyone says this, well, a lot of people say this about their mothers, and it's definitely true of mine. She's really the most amazing woman on the planet. I have no idea how she raised well, she pretty much on her own. Yeah. Um, uh, so somehow seven she boys. got what? Her GED? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? 
she she's amazing. She's she's an amazing human being. And 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 here's the thing. My mom because my dad did live separately from us early on and I don't yeah. say that to to disparage my dad at all. He's he was an amazing human and I love him so much, but but we were with my mom all day every day from the time we were born until we left the nest. Yeah. And and it was always her. And and that doesn't in any way mean that my dad wasn't around or wasn't involved and so on, because he certainly was. Well, obviously, he had this huge impact on your life, which yeah. is so interesting, because he was going back and forth from Vietnam as you're growing up. I never would have expected that, that you were going to tell me that when you were talking about, you know, discovering his poetry yeah. and the impact he had on your life. Yeah. And, I mean, this was not an absentee father. No, he 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 was incredibly present. And uh, when they got married, so uh, transitioning into sixth grade, they were married, and we all moved in together, and we left kind of the other side of the tracks part of town uh, for the suburbs. And so now all of a sudden, you've got these these nine black folks uh, living in an all-white neighborhood on the other side of the tracks in kind of suburban Missouri. Um, what was that like? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So some people were relatively welcoming, uh, and some people were not at all. Uh, there were times we had, uh, not long after moving in, uh, buckets of Kentucky fried chicken with human feces in it on our porch set on fire. There were times when uh, we'd be in the yard uh, mowing the lawn. Some guy drives by, circles a block, comes back. My dad's out there with us, you know, weeding, seeding, whatever, teaching us how to care for the lawn. And you know, guy stops and 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 asks my dad how much we charge for, you know, the work we're doing because you know we weren't supposed to live in that neighborhood. We must have been there, taking care of some white person's yard, and uh, you know, my dad, in no uncertain terms, let him know this was our house. These are my sons, and uh, you know, the guy kind of sped off, saying some pretty rude things out the window and. So, uh, but or, all, or as he should have been ashamed of himself, as he should have been ashamed. But <laughs> you know, uh, but but all of our experiences certainly weren't like that. There were some really fun and really good neighbors, and some really good times. And you know, we spent a lot of time though early on, especially um, kind of going back to the sunset part of town and projects where our friends and and families were because we were more comfortable there. Uh, but over time, uh, we we became more and more comfortable and made more and more friendships in our own new neighborhood, and and uh, so there were some some pretty incredible life lessons early on. Is that where you went to high school too? Uh huh. Yeah. In that neighborhood, and then yeah. what was what were the demographics of your high school? Um. So because of the size of the town, you know, there's one giant high school and not multiple ones like many more metropolitan places. Um, and so I would say the demographics were probably 60, 40, um, Caucasian to black and other, but primarily black. Um, and, but 
but the segregation of that reality was very, very pronounced. There wasn't a whole lot of crossover. You know, in the majority of my classes back then, classes were special ed, um, regular, and uh, uh, major or maximum, which meant, you know, what it implies. And so the gifted or whatever. Yeah. So the majority of my classes were the accelerated classes. Um, and uh, therefore, I was most often the only or one of two other, uh, two or three other black kids in those classes. Um, so there would be myself, uh, Keith, Jamie, Inger. Like, I still remember you know, the, the four or five black kids who had accelerated classes um, and, you know, maybe an Asian guy and one Arab girl, you right. know, but, but otherwise um, uh, in, in my sports activities and in my kind of recreational life and when we go to grandmom's house or visit my cousins, it was all very, very black and or black, brown and a few very poor whites. Um, but then academically, it was almost always that I was surrounded by nothing but white people. And what's your what's the makeup of your friend group in high school? Is it mixed? Very mixed, uh, eventually. So that best friend I was telling you about, uh, Paul Edwards, um, uh, though he was one of my best friends. I had, you know, Sean Ruffin and 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 Rick James, and yes, that's his real name. Uh, and and some and some other guys, but my best white friends uh, were Paul and Jerry, and uh, so yeah, pretty diverse friend group. And and were people dating outside of their race? <sighs> That's a really good question. So, um, almost secretively, um, I had some, and throughout my life, sadly. But uh, I had some pretty negative experiences when that happened. Um, parents, Caucasian parents, uh, were very disapproving. Um, there, wow. There were... Uh, Even throughout your life, like post-high school. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to say things that might... I don't disparage groups of people that I that I don't care to disparage in any way, but I will say this: um, things have not changed as much as one might really? think. Really? Yeah, yeah. You know, where with disapproving parents, or you know, you can be friends with them, but you shouldn't date them, and and you know, I think all people are equal. However, and and this is in the later adulthood, like post your first marriage type of thing. Oh, yeah, post, you know, during, um, yeah. During. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you would meet the par the parents of your, uh, of your, are, are you talking about your the parents of your first wife being disapproving? Was your first wife white? Yes. And they were disapproving? So, yes, absolutely. I, you know, Did that change? As you um, to know you? I mean, not that that makes it better, but. I'm Did it about human nature? I don't know that it changed so much as they became 
accepting of something they had no choice Ugh. over. That's so painful. Yeah, and so... they never really accepted you. Yeah, no, not really. They never really accepted her choice. Right, yeah. I mean... Uh, you know, there's there there are things that I that I could probably tell you off air. Oh, that, oh, I'm, oh I'm sure it would be hair raising. Yeah, and and you know, and and again, nothing against her, and right, eventually no, her, eventually her mom and I um, uh, became closer. Um, her dad and I not so much, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's. It's unfortunate that there are people who hold on to some very damaging uh, points of view when it comes to things like that. Well, and you don't look that old. Yeah. Um, you must be older than you look because you look like you're in your 30s, but your dad was in <laughs> Vietnam. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm 52. Um, yeah. Yeah. You do not look 52. <laughs> well, thank you. Yo, black don't crack, Kristen. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah, I've I, heard that, and um, it, I've, I've, um, I'd say anecdotally, it's that's been true in my visual experience. Yeah, you know, yeah. here, you know, that, that's well, thank you. That's also, very you're a kind. Fitness guy. Yeah, you take care yeah. of yourself. Yeah, you eat all the right stuff. I like lotions and potions. You know, I'm right. all about yeah, yeah, skincare and and just kind of health in general, but. You know, the, I think one of the most. And uh, you're a former, you're, you're, you were a model. You, right. You're not going to, you, yeah. your genetics are just incredible. Yeah, so taking care of yourself is very important. And, and But, you know, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I tell people often, which can be shocking. Uh, you know, my, my son, Hayden, who's, you know, amazing uh, daughter is named Peyton. She's she'll be 14 on January 29th. Hayden was 15. Is this your granddaughter on, then? No, no, no. It's my my daughter. Your uh, son is oh, I'm yeah. So so yeah. So my son is fifteen. Okay. Um, and uh, daughter will be fourteen. You have two two kids. Uh huh. Okay. Uh huh. And so, you know, I, we were having a conversation about you know kind of politics and. So you're you're an older parent just like me. Yeah. Yeah. And and but it's it's a little surprising to them sometimes when I tell them that. I am the first generation of black person in this country who was born with all his rights, like me, like their dad. So yeah. when they're so when they're learning things in that history class, and, yeah, it's kind of weird to think about. You know, who can vote and and segregation is is you know all but. I mean, it's at least not legal anymore. And like, it's it's pretty surprising to people uh, because. In our minds, What's your it was so your long ago. Is, late, is it late 60s? Uh, it's, uh, so 70, 1970, October of, of 70. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about the Civil Rights Act, yeah. you know, 1968. And, yeah. and so, and so. It's all during that time. Yeah, it's all during that time. And, and you know, people forget that Nixon was a big civil rights president. Right. People forget that. They right. think it was all JFK. Right. They forget about the the uh, late 60s and the early 70s. Yeah, other things started to distract people with Nixon. But yeah, you know, yes. you know it's it's like um but but yeah, it's super it's super interesting Very unfortunate that unfortunate for him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, can we just get back to the civil rights please? But um Well, it's it's easy to memory hole that when you're yeah, dwarfed it's by true. such a terrific scandal. It's true. it's true. But yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to walk around and see, you know, it, 
the fact that I was born with the same rights that you have and that every other Caucasian American citizen had had for, you know, ever, since forever, you know, of course, not uh, discounting the changes in in law for you know suffragettes and and, and women's rights and so on, but but being uh, a person born with the same rights as other whites, um, as and the first one that doesn't actually necessarily mean you have access to spaces you weren't allowed in absolutely not Uh, because the culture doesn't just suddenly change the culture doesn't suddenly change and so i can say that the changes i have experienced in my life have been encouraging um some uh of the changes i have not seen have been discouraging talk about that talk about that What, what haven't you seen so it's Little things, well, I, I don't want to say that. It's it, it's things like one day I am rolling the garbage cans out to the curb at home and having a new neighbor assume I'm some bum rummaging through the garbage for recyclables or whatever. Here in and, Oregon? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And 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 saying to me, hey, you know, you you, 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 sh- you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, what? Take my garbage cans out? And of course, they're incredibly embarrassed. One of the funniest stories, sad but funniest stories, is um in our front yard once. My God. And I'm man. I'm raking leaves, and I can see the clipboard lady down the street going right. door to door, door to door, door to door. Yeah, we all have those. And. <laughs> And at some point, she approaches me, and you know, I'm, I'm raking and I'm putting them in the compost bin. And I'm raking and 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 I'm watching this thing, you know, as my neighbors come out and talk to her, or they're not at home. And she's standing on our driveway, looking past me toward the door. And I said, you know, how can I help you? And she says, you know. Um, as she's still looking around me, uh, yeah, is the, is the homeowner here? And I said, yeah, how can I help you? And she says, well, oh my gosh, I need to, I need to speak to the, to the homeowner. And I said, yeah, how can I help you? And the confusion on her face was comical because she was and still trying she was still to looking decide. past me and she, attempting yeah. to step past me to go knock on the door because you know i'm just some black dude working in the yard in this nice neighborhood and so and so i stop her and i said yes you're talking to him how can i help you oh she says and stumbling and stammering and she was collecting signatures um there was Jeez. a ballot measure a few years ago, and the whole point of the signature she was collecting was, it was yes, anti-discrimination oh oh by the police and racial profiling. And I laughed in her face so hard. And uh, you Did know, she at least laugh at oh herself. No. Oh no, she was beyond Did she embarrassed. Apologize? No, she didn't apologize. 
Uh, she was so embarrassed. And so as she starts telling me why she's there and what she's collecting signatures for, Kristen, I just, I laughed so loudly in her face and I made sure she knew you're doing exactly the thing. You're out here collecting signatures saying, hey, how can we stop the cops from doing this to, to people who look like you? And I'm like, I don't want to use the B word, but that's what I felt like saying. Get out of my yard. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how painful. That's, yeah, that's Portland in a nutshell. And and you think that that example, you you don't think that's an outlier. Absolutely to not. To you, that typifies Portland. 100%. Because it's the whitest big city in America, and they just, there is no experience. These, these people have no experience interacting with people of color. 100%. I'll, I'll give you another brief example. And I won't use this guy's name because I love him. I think he's a great, great guy. And I don't think that he intended the insult the way it came across last election trump biden um he 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 texts me like hey did you did you see what i did did you get is my gift a friend, a friend. yeah okay. yeah um and and a an emerging like a developing friendship not someone i'd known for a long time someone i'd recently met and and, and really like and started getting to know him and did you get my gift? Did you get my gift? You know, no, what is it? Look in your yard. And I look out the window and there's a yard sign in the side yard that he had spiked into it. And it was veterans for Biden. Now, um, on the surface, hey, cool. You were thinking about me. You got one for yourself. Thought you'd get one for me. You know, I'm a veteran, you know, et cetera. You live in Portland. You live in Portland. You must be a Biden voter. And you're black. So, you know, <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, I, I, I kind of wrestled with myself and I thought, what would make him think I was a Biden supporter? Did that make you angry? You know, it, Kristen, this, this, this is such a normal and regular kind of occurrence in my life. I think... It's an annoyance. It's almost an annoyance. Yeah, you know, more than anything. And and so angry, oh, not so much. But, deal with this again. And so, you know, I'm kind of like, maybe given the political climate of our country, maybe it's relatively safe to assume that I might not be a Trump supporter. Like, I, I, I tried to figure out what led him to that assumption that wasn't based on the fact that I'm black. Honestly, Brian, I think a fair amount of it is grace, but I also think most everyone in Portland believes that everyone else they meet in Portland is a Biden supporter. Right. Because we all live in these bubbles. The first time I met somebody who voted for Trump that I ever had a substantive political conversation with was a listener of this podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember how I found out that she voted for Trump. Right. We connected. Right. She seemed very conservative, and I was interested in learning, learning more about her because right. I was living in my non-conservative, very progressive bubble. Right. Of which I had considered myself one. I no longer do, but at the time I certainly did. And she's certainly still to the right of me. 
but but I said, well, why don't you come on? Because I'm just I'm trying. I I would I obviously we connect well, and this is a good opportunity for me to understand you. And I think it's a good example for Portlanders of how. How, how to have a civil conversation with somebody that maybe you have right. a philosophical disagreement with. 100%. But yeah. before then, yeah. I couldn't tell... I mean, Brianna, I'm trying to think of who I know who lived, who I even knew who lived in Portland who voted for Trump, and I can't think of a single one yeah. before I met her. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Yeah, you know, and... I, and, and, and you know, there, there must be others. Oh, yeah. There's you definitely, and her. Definitely there must some, be others. Yeah, there, there definitely some. Um, there definitely some I mean, closet. Some closet. Uh, but they Trump are. Supporters. They're in the closet yeah. because because yeah. they're afraid. I mean, now I know many others right. because they know that I'm a safe person to tell right. because they've listened to the podcast right. and I've had so many people on. I mean, it's so funny. I had. I don't know if you heard the episode with Lionel Irving, but I had this black community leader yes. on. Did you hear that yes. episode? He's a Trump supporter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's, here's, I almost fell out of my chair. Here's here's what's here's, he was appointed to that committee by Joanne Hardesty. Yeah, you couldn't find two people. Right. I I think right. more politically opposite than Donald Trump and right. Joanne Hardesty. Right. I mean, she is left of left <laughs> of left. Yes, she is. And yes, she is. and he is. He might be the most. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't really know what to think. I, I don't know that he is the most right wing president we've ever had. He's, I, he, I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's, I mean, a, yeah, he's we a had, mix. yeah, we, I mean, we had Goldwater, we had, but, but so, so here's, uh, as, anyway, as a candidate, a but, yeah, so, so, so here's the thing, and I won't, and I won't go, I wouldn't go so far. You're telling me the story, you're telling me that you were not a Biden supporter, you were so, a Trump supporter. So, so I'll say this. I wouldn't go so far as to say a Trump supporter. I'm just not as anti-Trump in every way yeah. as as everyone else. Um, you weren't going to vote for Biden. And so this this is this is what I'll have to say about Biden and what I have to say about the Biden Trump um um runoff. Which was so polarizing in the country. They were both really shitty um, um, options. And so I hate to fall back to the lesser of two evils. Um, yeah. You're not as enthusiastic about him as Lionel was. And here's the thing. Joe Biden, historically has been you know we can talk about you know his alignment with civil rights leaders and so on but he has said and done some of the most blatantly racist things of any other caucasian political person on the on the right well talk about that because i think a lot of listeners will have no idea what you're talking about for, They'll be shocked. To even that. even even his comment to uh, do you know who Charlemagne is? Yeah, I like Charlemagne the said, God. If you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Then you ain't black. So that. not only was his was his incredibly his offensive. the change in his dialect, you then you ain't black. I mean yeah. how how is that how is that not minstrel? Like like it's 
completely insulting and it, to say it is, it's menstrual and and to say hey you know because you're black you should support me because you're black you're probably democrat and you should support me i mean it is not at all unlike putting a veterans for biden sign in my yard based on what your skin color, I guess. Certainly not a conversation we had where I was asked who I support and what my political leanings were. Um, so so there had to be a fair number of assumptions made. And it's not hard to, to guess what those assumptions were. And so, you know, for, for, a, for a guy like that, uh, who, you know, his comments about, you know, integration and inner cities and, 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 and turning, you know, otherwise white spaces into jungles, racial jungles, uh, when talking about, you know, integration Are and, you and race about mixing. Biden? Yeah. Like, like, it, is like that it, what he said? Yeah. So there, you know, it's, it's yeah, not, I don't even know about that part. It is not difficult to go talking back. Talking about turning otherwise white. Oh, but because he was against, was he against busing? Yes. And so, and so here's he the, called, he said racial jungles. Yes. Wow. That's that. And that's a quote. You know his his comments about you think Trump Barack would have talked a Obama lot that. being clean and right. I remember that. I mean, it's just his, his verbiage is terrible. You know, there was I think a golfer who won the Masters or uh, some tournament, and and he was um, Asian, and uh, you know he made some comment like that. You know, like that 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 little Chinese boy, or. <laughs> who won the tournament? Like they're just they're just things, and and again, none of this means that that <laughs> that that Donald Trump's a great guy, and that none of this means that. But I'm just saying. No, I don't take it that it's way. It's amazing the things we will look past in order to vilify one person and support another, and I'm just saying. Um, I'm not as anti-Trump and pro-Biden as people might assume a person who looks like me to be. I find that blacks, and and again, I, I hate to generalize, but you know, if anyone can, I, you know, I can. But uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I think that well, you're the, certainly the only one in this room who can. Thank That's you, true. thank you, Kristen. And so <laughs> I I think that. Uh, that our politics tend to be a little more conservative in general. You know, we're pretty religious people. Anecdotally, that's what that's been my experience. Yeah, you know, we're pretty religious people. We definitely believe in small government. Uh, we're very family Moms. oriented, and you know, things Take of that care nature. Of mom. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's there's some, and I think that as a people, what the historical the the reasons we've uh, kind of leaned. Democrat has been for, you know, kind of humanitarian reasons and civil rights and and equal rights. And, and, you know, there's this party that, that that's supposedly, flipped, right? Yes. The civil rights was, was, was a Republican issue for so long. Right. Until right. What really, they, you know, I think they really did themselves a disservice by abandoning a fair amount of that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we go back to kind of that Republicans and Democrats and then you get your Dixiecrats and you get like there's That's like right. there's this there's this and weird the KKK. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this weird period where, you know, 
political parties and their ideologies began to shift uh, a little bit. And so there will be people listening to this who who will not know that history. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and I think it's really super important. That's right. It is important. It's very, very important. And so, you know, being a quote unquote independent, um, I really look at the person and the policies. And when I'm doing that, I have to consider everything from taxes to schools to, you know, it's, it's, it's less important to me whether the person is a Democrat or Republican. I look at, okay, how do their ideals line up with me as a father, as a homeowner, as a veteran, as a small business owner, as, and I would never just go, Democrat, no matter what, Republican, no matter what. Um, I, I think that's unwise, and I think that we should step back and and really look at the person and the policies first and, and not the party. What did you... Um, I have found that since I have started doing that because I didn't always do that until this last election, which just really look at policies. I was a party line voter, which makes me sound really stupid now because what you just articulated is very thoughtful. Um, I think a lot of it was I was such a single issue voter. Right. And I was focused on things like abortion for so long. Right. And I just didn't. And I think I did just always assume if I vote for a Democrat, I'm voting for racial justice. I'm assured I'm not going to get uh, somebody on the Supreme Court who's going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And so I'm just, you know, that blue no matter who kind of deal. Right, right. Until no, this last election. That's very, that's not uncommon, I think, well, It's not uncommon here. And, 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 and I think we as a people, certainly speaking for myself, um, learn how unproductive that is the hard way meaning that's right like i had exactly right i had friends whose families you know before i could vote friends whose families were absolutely 100 democrat and they were racist as hell or (laughs) or you know and so and so you know growing up realizing that regardless of political affiliation you don't want me to date your daughter or you don't want me to live next door, or you're going to make certain assumptions about me if I happen to be walking down the street with a group of five black friends. And and, and so that wasn't exclusively just Republicans or, or exclusively Democrats. It was just people. And so I learned really early on that, yeah. that associating what's best for me and people like me um, that that it was wise not to uh, to to applaud one group over the other, um, and to really look at the individual. It's very weird how, as a country, but certainly it's played out here in Portland. We've really moralized those political parties. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the ways that, as you know, Renee Gonzalez's opposition was trying to keep him from winning the election was by calling him a Republican. Right, right. Which is so 
I mean, in the context of our discussion, is kind of hilarious. That that becomes, but it worked that that's very an, well. Yeah, that that it's an insult. Like it's an epithet. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a really dirty word yeah. in Portland. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like flying the flag. Yes, what that yes. says about you today. The, and you're just talking about the American. We're just flag. talking about the American flag, and and what that says about you. And some people are are absolutely responsible for abusing it. But as a former serviceman, I remember the first time I cried listening to the national anthem. It was after boot camp, and I was at a sporting event, and the anthem played. You know, stood up and. And put my hand over my heart, and and I thought about you know friends I lost or things I'd done or you know my love um, for the country and the opportunities that certainly the choices I made and the sacrifices I made along the way, but but um, uh, the opportunities afforded me um, uh, in this country, and and I found myself kind of tearing up and. Uh, so when when I saw C and saw the flag, then it was moving in a very positive in a very positive way that in no way overshadows the negative history um, um, in this of country course, and course. and you know, the Constitution was written, and at the time, you know, blacks were slaves, and so, you know, of course, it's not a stretch to realize we weren't necessarily included in that language, and 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 so I, I get all of that, and I'm not discounting or disregarding all of that, any of that, but progress can only be made a step or two at a time, and so I can both love my country and question and challenge her and and to be better and to live up to uh to her ideals uh, and and those things are not mutually exclusive i don't have to either love or hate the country i don't have to either love or hate the flag um and i think it's and i think it's it's wrong and it's naive to allow any one group to appropriate the flag it doesn't belong to the racist or the bigot or the it it belongs to us and and i refuse to leave it to them so you know whether i salute or stand or kneel or whatever it is i choose to do um in any particular circumstance regarding uh the the flag or my love uh for the country um that's exactly what i served my country to support if people, do you ever do that in public? Oh, certainly, yeah. And if and when you do that, do you get strange looks? Oh, 100%. I mean, <laughs> I, so, so here's... Have you ever done it in Portland, like in a Timbers game? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I need to hear this. So, so we were at a Timbers game. Because Timbers is the best example. Oh, my God. But Port- it's so Portland. Here, here's, here's the thing, though. When <laughs> this, is, this is not this, so as a person of color, and I'm not a little guy, 
Nope, nope. You know, I'm I'm pretty muscular, and you know, I'm I'm a I'm a well trained <laughs> well trained martial artist. You know, I I have a concealed carry license. I you know Do I carry you really. Oh, oh yeah, wow. yeah. Okay. I I carry every day. You know, I like I. There are things that I just believe in that are that are parts of the constitutions of my life. But I will say this: when I wear my hat. That's my red hat that says "Made you look Black Lives Matter" on it, um, and people look at this red hat with white letters and they assume it's a it's a you know "Make America Great Again" hat. It's hilarious, and I wear it for that reason. I wear it to make people think. It's 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 kind of comical, but but what I can get away with as a stout martial artist with a nine millimeter on my hip is probably different than what some other people can get away with. Meaning if I decide to kneel or to wear a red hat with white letters, or I'm not challenged nearly as much as I think some other people might be. So um, there's definitely some, some advantages. uh, Oh, for sure. Yeah. And and you're, it's not just, your physicality i think you also have i mean you must know this that you have a presence about you you. thank you but you must know that well i you know i i do but i'm also Kristen. i'm also always willing to have a scary presence yeah 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 no thank you a a charismatic confidence yeah i'm here i am and i'm you're owning this you're owning your space. Well, thank you. And I and I attribute a lot of that to my parents and, and you know, my community and so on. But yeah, also myself, of course. But um, but Portlanders are very mealy people that do oh, not own their space. Oh, not not at all. And and I am always willing to have the conversation, no matter how difficult uh, I walk in knowing that tempers may or may not flare uh, that the conversations may or may not be incredibly difficult, but I'm always willing to have the conversation. And that's what I find is missing in today's dialogue and discourse about politics, whether it's, you know, gender or race or whatever else. Um, and in my experience, it's one side more than the other, and that side tends to be a little more liberal. Again, in my experience, Um who will throw their hands up and write a person off or get so angry that name calling starts. Has that happened to you? It, it, it has happened to me, yes. And are you comfortable saying, I mean, you don't have to say names, but like, are you comfortable saying in what context? So when having conversations, let's say about um, gun ownership or, you know, the Second Amendment and some of these changes that have... Just, like this latest ballot measure? Yeah, you know, I am, as you probably have gathered, very against um, uh, legislation restricting gun ownership. I do believe that there should be background checks and 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 reasonable laws um, uh, surrounding gun ownership. Common sense, Common sense. but. If we're honest, crime is crime. And more laws has never prevented crime. Um, well, certainly not in this city. Right. And, 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 and at the end of the day, 
people like me who are responsible, legal gun owners, um, having more hoops to jump through in order to participate in the process is not the solution, in my opinion. Because what we're talking about in general is crime, ghost guns, um, people shooting up, uh, you know, after a basketball game at Franklin High School the other day. Like, or Cleveland. Or Cleveland or yeah, Holiday Park yeah. or oh, the... Yeah. And so are is that person going to look at a gun law and say, oh, you know what? I'm not going to bring a gun to the high school and fire it into a car because that's illegal or of course not. But, but a person like me who understands who has his license, who carries every day. And I go to my son's, you know, basketball game. Um, and, you know, obviously you can't carry a weapon into the gymnasium. I, I put my weapon away and, and, and follow all the rules because that's what law abiding citizens do. So more laws are for people who follow them in the first place right. and not for the people who don't. And and so I just don't think that's the right uh the right approach. I think the argument that people are have been making is that one of the shooters, it may have been the Valdi shooter, but one of the shooters had a legal gun. It, it, perfectly legal and had gone through all the steps and I think that their argument is hey if we can prevent there, there may not be a lot of people that are that legally own guns that have followed all through all the channels to get their guns and are still intent on committing crime but to the extent that there are we're going to make it harder for for them so we're going to burden Breon Right. To keep out the, what, I mean, point zero some <laughs> right. percent of criminals, right. I guess. Right. And and the thing is, and, and, and that's... And I guess they'd, they'd say bodies, right? right. They'd say, well, well, look at these lives lost. And so, you know, Brianna, I'm sorry, but yeah, you're going to have to go through the sheriff's office now because we're going to pass this ballot measure. Right. We're going to limit magazines and we're right. going to... And, and, but, you know, Brianna, there's, we've got this wake of dead people and right. we, we're just, we, we want to make it just a little bit harder. We right. want to think, think a little bit more. Sure. And you're, and you're not going to stop crime, you know, ever. And the fact that sometimes law abiding citizens also break laws and like, I, I, you know, I, I totally understand that. I just think that when you look at the number of people who are murdered in this country, well, or in this city. In yeah. this city and in this yeah. country every day uh, by illegal handguns. And, like, it, it just, those things are not going to be affected by stricter laws. Absolutely not. I could literally, if I weren't already licensed and registered and, and, and so on, but I could get a gun in a day yeah. in this city. And, oh, any of us could. I any mean, it just, could. you know, it's not, it's not the laws that 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 will well, all the homeless it. people are armed they have them somehow it's true i mean do you follow central bike squad on instagram oh i don't i, I okay, should i do you know too. wtf it portland is and some of the of, others but that's a good okay. one too yeah but central bike squad on okay. instagram is one of the best follows i'm gonna do it i've ever I, one of my best friends has a 
cop who has a brain, so he doesn't live here anymore, but he, <laughs> I know, um, he's the one who suggested it to me. I didn't even know it existed, but it's amazing. Okay, and I'll the amount of guns yeah. they retrieve, it's, it's daily. Yeah. It's piles and piles yeah. of guns. Yeah. And, and yeah. then, and then, Brian. Like the other thing I think of when I see these gun measures come down the pike, especially somewhere like Portland, where we just seem absolutely obsessed with with limiting police, and certainly obsessed with limiting police interaction with Black people. Is don't you think more gun laws are going to increase police interaction with Black people? I do. I do. <laughs> you know, and I thought we wanted to limit that. Yeah, and. <laughs> You know, I'll, the left kind of has to pick a lane yeah. on the gun control and the get rid of police. I mean, I've been, if you want gun control, who's gonna who's gonna enforce your gun control laws if you don't have cops? Right, right. And and I've been pulled over by the cops a few times since I've lived here. Do you feel and, it was unjust? Uh, there's certainly been times that I felt it was unjust, um, and. It, but but it, but what and, and I'll back into that. But um, I'm in a luxury vehicle. You drive I, like a Range Rover or something, right? Yeah. yeah. And Is, a, was that right? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, well, what would you fit into? Yes, love and and, and <laughs> absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. And and it's like you know with uh, a semi-automatic handgun. Wow. You know, literally in the passenger seat next to me, locked yeah. and loaded, and 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 here's the thing: I've never once been terrified by that. I present been terrified my by what having been pulled over by the cops, thinking that it might well end because badly. you're a law-abiding citizen, and and I and I put my faith in that. I put my faith in that. I put my faith in. Uh, the system. I put my faith in in uh, uh, police officers in this city. Um, I definitely believe in accountability. I believe if and when there are bad actors, and there certainly are, they should be punished to the fullest extent of the law and made an example of for any other potential bad actors with that kind of responsibility and that kind of job, given the global impact those bad acts have on policy and people and... Well, and trust, right? Absolutely. Trust in, trust in our law and And we have to hold them to a higher standard. That's because right. Because they're, they're out there enforcing the laws and they That's are right. armed and most... That's right. I don't know about most. I think in Portland, most citizens probably are not. Most citizens probably are not. And I and I'm a firm believer in in absolute accountability. But because that's true, I choose to behave the way that I feel or I would want to be treated in the way that I think one should behave in those circumstances. And 99.9% of the time when I have been pulled over in that way, uh, the officer and I end up giggling together. Even if I still get a ticket, I give them a business card. A couple, really? a couple of them have shown up at the gym. I tell oh them gosh, how close so to the funny. PD I am. And, you know, and it's, <laughs> and, and it, and it turns out and it turns out well. And so, can I say with absolute certainty that seeing me behind the wheel of a luxury vehicle, 
you know, in a high crime area as I'm driving through Old Town to get to the gym uh, did not motivate that stop. I can't say with absolute certainty that that race didn't play a part in why um, he or she might have pulled me over. I, I can't know that for sure. But what I do know for sure is what those interactions have been like um, and and the way they've turned out. And, and they have always ended positively. As a Black Portlander, what was it like for you during the George Floyd protests and, <sighs> and nightly riots? So that's an that's another good question. Um what happened to George Floyd was devastating. It was heartbreaking to watch and um and, and incredibly sad. Where I'm from in Missouri um was either the last and my grandmother was was interviewed about this was either the last or one of the last recognized and and you know air quotes um uh lynchings in this country where a black man was dragged through um the black part of town uh, behind horses because of some perceived infraction regarding a white woman and, you know, kind of the whole Emmett Till type thing. But um, Did your grandmother witness Witnessed, this? yeah. Yeah, Holy and other family shit. and community members. And a guy wrote a book, and I think there's some documentary about it, but she was interviewed about it. I mean, that's just not that long ago. It's not that long ago. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so, uh, why did I mention that? Um Black death at the hands of violent white people who have seen us as less than human is an unfortunately not uncommon um, occurrence in, in this country, historically. And so seeing a police officer and several you know, peripherally involved in this murder was incredibly heartbreaking. I didn't indict all police officers because of it, but it did make me stop and think really deeply about what policing is in as a reality what policing is um, as it's perceived to be by different groups. Um, and it was a really introspective time to be a person of color in a city like Portland. Yes. Especially when the protests started. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm all on board. You should speak truth to power. And you should unite. And so, and, were you out there during the day then? So no. So I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, didn't participate. participate. You know, I, I have a small business to run on Second and Morrison. Right, you know, you were busy. I was at work. Yeah. I was at work every day. And and so, 
And you were so, busy trying to make white biceps bigger. That's right. That's, that's right. That's right. Ironically. Yeah. And, and so. Ironically, it, you were training white PPP. Largely. Yeah. Like, mostly. And so, and so you know, the, these protests are going on, and, and, and some of those protests led to violence and, and, and so on. But, but I think it's, it's during that time of, uh, as I was saying, kind of introspection, thinking about all the things because you know you can't really separate one of those things from the other but thinking about all the things you know George Floyd's uh murder um how incredibly public it was i mean you could you could google uh and 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 watch a homicide yeah. happen by a, snuff film. a police officer of you know yet another you know dead black body and you know at the same time you know we had all Botham John and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and you know there was just this really intense time where um the focus was and rightly so on bad policing and bad choices by people in positions of authority as it pertained to people of color and and it's difficult sometimes not to throw out the baby with the bathwater where I can see how some people reach the point where they're defund, dismantle, start over. We need a different group of people to respond to crime, depending on the kind of crime it is. You know, when you see me, do you instantly see perpetrator? When they see you, if you're standing next to me, even if you're the perpetrator, do they see you as a victim? Like, these are really, really hard questions and things that take a lot of time and thought and the right kind of political leaders and 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 social leaders to to tackle um so what was it like for me it was really interesting do i think black lives matter of course they do i'm a person of color i'm a, I'm a black man i my life absolutely matters um but i think there's a difference between believing and supporting the fact that Black Lives Matter and supporting the organization that is BLM. I think that, um, unfortunately, those things are not the same. Are you, are you talking about all the bad press that's come to light about the mansions and the... Yeah, the mismanagement of funds mm-hmm. and and the kind of ideologies that are, I mean, right there within the literature of the organization regarding the nuclear family. The, yeah. Some I of mean, the stuff they scrubbed from the website. And- there's some, there's some stuff. And so the organization is one thing and the ideology is, is something else, but yeah, it was an interesting time. It's it, it, for me, I, again, never shy away from the conversations, Kristen. I, I enjoy them. Um, I always learn something, uh, but it's sometimes hard being asked about. Oh, I bet you were asked constantly. Yeah, you know about 
you know, Colin Kaepernick and Black Lives Matter. And you're probably but, the only black people. Some a, a lot of your clients, a lot of people you interact with know. Yeah. But you know what? I'm never asked about how I feel about, you know, Matt Gates or how I feel right. about Bill Gates right. or, you know, how I feel about or even it, Donald Trump. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Any number of other things. And, and it, Well, they like, assume they already know how you feel about Donald Trump. That's a problem. You know, and I, I just I feel like we have Biden. yeah yeah we have interests that are just <laughs> they like go beyond George Floyd yeah that go beyond policing policing and black issues i i'm not anyone's victim i'm interested in policy i'm interested in politics i'm interested in art and science and literature and and things that people almost never talk yeah. to me about. Yeah. Um, and you know, but you know, the minute Kanye West speaks out, I get a I oh, get I'm a sure. I get texted and tweeted. And you know, the minute Will Smith slaps Chris Rock, Breon, what do you think about that? But you know, I'm not asked what I think when Dana White slaps his wife in Mexico. Like it's it's just you know, it's it's interesting. Does it ever make you want to move somewhere that actually has a a black community? So you're you're not you know treated as such an oddity. You know, I not not really because. Even then, I don't need to be surrounded by people who look like me to feel comfortable as me. No, and but don't you think that you'd be, you wouldn't be the one black guy that everybody goes to for an opinion on black issues? Unless I, for whatever reason, step outside of that space and then, you know, it's going to happen again. Well, I mean, it, so it's happened to me when I was. That's interesting. Yeah. So when, you know, when I was stationed in Germany and when I, when I, when I lived in Denver and now that I live here and even when I was, you know, back in Missouri where I was raised, you know, this happens all the time whenever you step outside of uh, your quote unquote community, but I, I really see the world as my community. You mean and the group? The you mean the assumptions about how your community feels about a particular issue? Right. If you if your thought if you, if you engage in quote unquote wrong thing, or people perceive you as maybe being out of step with the way they perceive your community to believe very or have opinions on politically then you're saying you, there's no way to escape that in America. That's right. There's no way to there's no way to escape it. And and then you're the black guy who doesn't think Trump's so bad. You know, suddenly it's not just oh you're the one black guy I know. It's oh you're the black guy who, you know, has some mixed feelings about Joe Biden. Right. Right. Yeah. And and so, you know, it's within the community, sometimes you can be seen as you know, a race trader or, you know, the, the, uh, what's, what's uh, Uncle Tom, even though that's a complete misuse of, of, you know, who I Uncle Tom was. That. I know I because, because people don't understand I who. I hear that about Clarence Thomas. Yeah. But, you know, people also don't understand who, uh, who Uncle Tom was in that novel. He was actually the opposite of, the way that term is used, but that's, you know, that's, I would like to be there when you explain something like that yeah, to someone. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult, but, but, difficult. you know, that's an understatement. I just, I, I try to, I don't think that, that, um, 
and and I hate to say running from because it's not exactly what I mean, but but running from or hiding from the fight um, is the thing to do. My dad used to say that you don't change something um, by beating your head against the wall from the outside. You have to change things from the inside. And so gaining access begins to change things. I think that, you know, to be a Black architect, you have to see a Black architect. To be a Black conservative, you have to see a Black conservative, and, and so on. And so, and so, so you think representation matters? Representation matters. And, and, and honoring and respecting diverse points of view and perspectives. Why is it that people like, who people who look like you, should be the only ones who are allowed to have varying political perspectives. You get to be a Democrat or Republican or progressive or an independent or, but I have to be a Democrat. I have to be a liberal. Like an example of white privilege that I certainly know I have is no one tells me that I have to think or vote a certain way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do, but not because of my skin color. Right. Really, it's, right, it's right. because of it's because I live in Portland. Right. N- now that is the only that is cha- I I modify that a bit. Now that the Dobbs decision happened, mm-hmm. I I'm I'm not gonna say that I feel I'm feeling the way you feel because I right. I never could. I have an I have an understanding that I didn't before. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I think that makes that makes perfect sense too because we're all sovereign individuals, and but we're not treated we're cer- we're not treated that, that way generally right. politically in this country since right. we're so polarized, and we're certainly not treated like that in this city. Yeah, this yeah. is not a city that accepts the idea that we're all different kinds of individuals with different kinds of kinds of thoughts. It's that's anathema right. to this city. That's right. That's right. This is a city that likes to be in lockstep. Yeah. And if you're not, you make people very uncomfortable. And, and this city likes to be in lockstep very superficially. Yeah. Well, yes. Because again, and as you've pointed out. Yeah. Because again, it's only on the surface. When you've got the clipboard lady outside my right. house, you know, incredibly liberal, out collecting signatures to say don't treat our ver- our our black citizens unfairly and let's hold the police accountable for their their racism toward people of color all while being incredibly racist toward me it's i think that is in my experience um a perfect encapsulation of the black experience in Portland. There's, it's easy to be really, really liberal when you can go through your day six out of the seven days of the week, if not seven out of the seven, and have absolutely no interaction with anyone who's not white in every space you're in. And they like, all think like you. They all look like you. They all think like you. That's they right. They wouldn't dare talk out of step with you. I can go outside of, you know, spending time with my own immediate family. I can go weeks 
short of, you know, going to my son's basketball game or my daughter's basketball games or, you know, whatever, I can, I can go weeks without having an interaction with any other person of color in this city. It's absolutely batshit. It's it's bonkers. It's so weird. And yet somehow the city says we're so progressive and we're so liberal and we're so and and I get it. The 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 demographic makeup of Portland is what it is, and we can't look past. We do Portland. have a racist past. That's right. I mean, it was it was so founded white. as a white utopia, and you know, sundown laws yeah, and yeah. and property ownership, and you know, redlining, and we can get into the whole legacy of Manual and, and Vanport, and like, there's some really really crazy and shitty history here. Um. And and so I think it's I think everybody's I, it's so funny that you say that because no one's focus, no one ever talks about that. They talk about the police and they don't talk about why Portland is so white in the right. first place. Right. Like, they don't know the history. That's right. And and it's super easy to be liberal when nothing in your life challenges those ideologies at all. Yeah, because what tends to happen uh, uh, more often than not, there was an incident when my son was in elementary school where a teacher called him passively, called him the N-word, my son. How do you passively call someone the N-word? So there's a little boy and... um, there was an argument as as there are between you know elementary school kids and um this little boy is short my son's very tall always has been you know kind of 98th percentile for for height or so and this boy um told the teacher that my son called him a midget and and oh, I see. And my son said, I, "That's not what I said. I I I called him a short stat, you know, which is a term that's probably my fault. You know, when the kids were little, I'd say you knew one a, a large stack or a short stack of pancakes, right, right, and, right. and so you know, uh, my daughter would always get a short stack, and she's shorter than him, and you know, he'd get a larger stack, and so you know, sometimes you know, a short stack, you know, whatever. So anyway." The, the long and short is uh, he called this this little boy short stack. And in translation, when being upset about it and telling the teacher, he said he called me a midget. And Hayden said, that's not, that's, that's not what I said. I didn't, I didn't call him a midget. I said this. The teacher believed the white student and uh, who happened to be the short boy and said to my son, um, well, that's not okay. That would be like if I called you the N word. Says this to my. Please at least tell me she said the N word and she didn't say the. Full so word. that was never fully clear um, in his Ooh, recollection. Boy. It was the word, and so, and so. I, of course, I have no idea this is going on. So my yeah, it's like, so, the worst analogy ever. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's just like that. So days later, <laughs> we're driving to a party, and you know, 
Aaron is next to me and, you know, Peyton's in the back seat next to Hayden and a friend. And so she and I are sitting up front and we're driving to this party and we're just kind of, you know, hey, you know, when you get in, you're going to be hanging out with your buddies because it was one of his friend's parties and she was tagging along, her daughter was tagging along. Hey, when you get in, I want you to make sure to take care of your sister. She doesn't know some of these boys and 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 so just, you know, make sure she's okay. And And so during this conversation, I said something about, uh, uh, you know, taking care of her and not knowing some of the boys from school and, and this conversation with the teacher came up and, and I said, you know, no name calling and, and, and so on, just kind of giving rules before getting to the party because, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade boy parties can be crazy. So, uh, as we're having this conversation, he says that, you know, he wouldn't call people names. And it's kind of like, you know, the other day when his teacher oh called him the N-word. And, oh and, I, and, and I literally slammed on the brakes. I'm like, wait a minute, back up. Tell me the story again. And so he went from start to finish how this evolved. Kristen... Within days, Aaron and I had written crazy letters to the school. I got social justice advocates involved. There were school meetings called and the whole nine. And me being me, I looked up the etymology of the word midget. And aside from the fact that Hayden said he didn't say that, in the but first place. And you just place. said, okay, look, and, let's just assume he did. And I, I said, let's assume he did. Let's talk about the differences. Even though he he said he didn't say this, this is what he says that he said. You had to choose because you didn't hear. You had to choose one student to believe versus the other. You chose to believe the white student and not my beautiful biracial son. You chose this word of all the words to illustrate a point and insult him. And, and this is actually the origin and the etymology of the word midget. And it comes from the word midge. And it was a positive Wasn't thing for a long time. And, apologizing? Oh, well, you know what happened? Did she double down on this or something? Tears. The, 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 the quote unquote white, Female tears, the waterworks. Oh, yeah. They started in the principal's office. And and I said, you know what? I don't give a damn about your tears. I'm here advocating for my son. Cry all you like. Have your feelings hurt all you like. It means absolutely nothing to me. And so that kind of shut that down. But, you know, it's, and again, I will almost guarantee you if you had a conversation with this woman, given what I came to know about her, she would tell you she's incredibly progressive. She's super liberal. She supports Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ rights and, and all the stuff. But this is who you are at your core. And when your ideologies are challenged in any way, even by children, when this is your profession, this is where you lean almost immediately. And that's been my experience with many, 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 certainly not all, but many liberal Portlanders. When you're actually faced with having to do something about or to support 
your ideologies aside from protesting the real you starts to show a little bit and it's not necessarily as liberal or progressive as you pretend to be do you think that that's part of because do you think that part of the reason is because the portlanders are are in a bubble first second we're geographically isolated in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. i mean we're on the west coast Mm -hmm. so we're not we're not in the middle Mm -hmm. um not even close and the states that are around us are pretty darn white i mean you start going east it's white 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 yeah you gotta go south or you gotta if you go north you gotta go to a major city to find any real communities of color i mean do you think part of that behavior is due to just not having experiences with people of color yeah you know i i think that's probably that's probably true but you you have to know your own I mean, I'm not trying to make excuses for them. I'm just trying to figure no, not, out. Yeah, not at all. I think that people tend to Like, do you want think that to... woman was a racist? So, I guess. Like, yeah, no, I do. 100%. Do. A- absolutely. Uh, and and I think that, that it might have been a kind of passive racism. It's yeah. kind of like, well, blacks are more violent than whites. Or, you know, uh, blacks aren't as good at the position of quarterback as white people are. Like, I I think that there are these kind of passive, kind of latent, kind of outdated ideologies where people don't really realize where they come from, but we kind of hold on to, you know, it's not, it's not unlike um, a black person assuming that, that white people are racist. You know, there's certainly times in my life, even now when I have to kind of fight the indoctrination, um, where, you know, I walk into a room and there's a table filled with white people. And as they might with anyone who walks through the door, they all kind of turn around and look. And and there's this part of me that's like, what are you white people looking at? You know, and that 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 thinks, are they staring at me because I'm black? Uh-huh. Or did this group of people hear the door open? And turn around and look like they would have if anyone else walked through. It is hard. Is that just to, an exhausting way to live? It can be. But, you know, it, it, it's it's exhausting. But when it's what you've known yeah. from, the, you know, it's, it's. And you're saying it would be like that anywhere. Yeah. And you're saying it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Where you move. It wouldn't matter if you moved to a city with more. Of a black community, you're saying it just it you'd have that kind of hypervigilance anywhere. Yeah, yeah, and because you know, anytime you step outside of that community, because guess what, I wouldn't have thought that if I walked in the room and there was a table full of black people who turned around and looked when I walked in, I would think they noticed the door opening and I walked through it and they turned to see who was coming through the door, and so. We all have work to do, you know, within ourselves. I can't know the hearts of those people who turned and looked at me. But what am I going to ascribe to them or assume they feel or think? And 
And will I treat them according to those assumptions? You know, that's that's just all wrong. And it's exactly what we as a people ask and, and require not to be done to us. And so I try to lead with that in my own life. But that must be difficult because then don't you have to do some self-talk? A lot of it. It is. Dif- it, it, it definitely I mean, can that, be difficult. It's just, yeah, that's that's a mental load that and probably another example of white privilege. I mean, that's a mental load that I obviously like somebody like me isn't going to carry around, certainly not in Portland. Yeah, no, it can be. It can be really exhausting. You know, as far as white privilege goes, because that's another one of those phrases, I think that it, that there are some undeniable things that are or can be considered benefits of uh, of being white. Um, and I think that the the assumption that that white privilege means, White people don't suffer. White people don't work hard. White people don't deserve the opportunities they've been given, and so on and so forth. I think that's I think that's wrong, and I think that's the way a lot of people use and interpret that phrase. But the, I don't think that's it. For me, white privilege is things like Aaron will go for a walk with her friends sometimes in the morning, and there's a house for sale in the neighborhood, and they're curious about the remodel. And, this is your wife. Yeah. Who's who is white? Who's white? Okay. And she's actually uh uh Jewish and Irish. Oh, interesting. Uh, between her parents. So there's some 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 internal conflicts there. I mean, not personally, but we we kind of joke about it. But um, so you know, she'll go for a walk with her friends and she'll peer through the windows at, you know, some house at 6:30. In the morning. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine her, you being able to do that. There's no way in hell. <laughs> there's no. no and, there there and, isn't. And even if I could, I wouldn't. But let's just say, um, there's no way in hell I, I would do it. And so, <laughs> and so, you know, we kind of laugh about it. And and you know, for for me, certainly there are some more serious topics and some more serious ways that 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 privilege can be illustrated, but. But in my actual life, in my real day-to-day life, those are the ways that I see privilege. Totally. And you know, uh, 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 carrying itself out is 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 my lovely wife going up to that door, thinking I'm going to exercise my white privilege and look through. No, she's just being who we should all be allowed to be as people and. And as free sovereign Americans, um, and and so for me, those are the ways that I see white privilege played out. I don't see it in some of the ways others think that I might. I feel this way about it. If you were to put down a starting line and say, "Let's." whether this is, you know, physically or intellectually or whatever. Um, if you were to fire the gun and say, go, I'll stand on that starting line against anyone. I don't care who you are. And 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 if you beat me, you deserved it. Like if you beat me intellectually, if you beat me physically, if you, whatever it is, all I want 
And I think all we want as a people is to be allowed to run the race fairly without obstacles in our way and not the other person's to get to the finish line. And so I don't, I, I live my life not feeling like a victim. I, 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 I live my life feeling like, hey, listen, I will put what I know, believe, think, or feel, or I'm capable of up against anyone's, and I will give it my best shot. And, and if I lose, I learn. And, you know, if I win, I've earned it. And, and those are the things I try to teach the kids, and that's the way that I approach life. And so I'm less concerned with what privilege this person may or may not have above and beyond me. I believe in myself, in my own abilities, in my own capabilities, and, and I approach my life that way every day. What was, what if any, uh, was the conversation with a friend who put the Biden sign in your yard? So, I mean, did you even bother? So I, the first thing I did was, was take it out. (laughs) And, and, you know, I, if memory serves. Which isn't easy to do because it, I've hammered those things in and out before and they're, I mean, it was probably easy for you. Yeah, probably just picked it up like a toothpick. But yeah, you know, so, so I, I, t- I took it out and took I it out. and I had a conversation with Aaron about it. And of course, she respects and understands my perspective. And and I think with him, it was more um, uh, casual, like not wanting to be in any way targeted. You know, certainly. Just like my Renee Gonzalez signs, when when I had them out, you know, people would s- snag them or tear them or try to destroy them. Really? And, you know, like it comes up missing, but thankfully I had a couple backups. Are you so, comfortable saying what neighborhood you're in? Uh, yeah, yeah, I live in the in Alameda neighborhood. Oh well, yeah. Yeah, and so you know, it's 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 pretty it's pretty funny that. So you had the one Renee sign. You well, so. Thankfully, I'm like, fortunately, a couple of neighbors. So the, the way I even met Renee uh, was long before his uh, intention to run. Did you meet him run. in soccer? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that's his big thing. Yeah, that was his big thing. And they were it looking for a uh, board member for United Soccer. Um, and a good oh, friend funny. of mine was involved with the board, this guy, Matt Compton. And he thought, hey, you know, I've got I know a great guy uh, who might be interested. His son plays and has for years. Uh, so I'd like to introduce you to the board president. Uh, so we went out to lunch years ago, sat down. We talked about politics a little bit. We talked about sports a lot. We talked about athletic uh, opportunities and outreach and the ways sports can change a person's life. And, and I thought, man, what a cool guy. He's just a really super nice, really inf- involved and informed guy. Pretty freaking hilarious. He's really and uh, funny. yeah, I mean, when 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 Matt told me you're gonna meet uh, Renee Gonzalez, um, I thought it was a chick. I thought it was a Mexican chick. And, <laughs> and so, and so, you know, I walk into Matador, and I got there before Matt did. But yeah, it was pretty funny. So of course we had a laugh, and he's like, you know, I get that a lot, and you know, so we made jokes about you know how my funny. name being Breon and and how often people mispronounce it and. You know, whatever. So we had some really good laughs right away. And I just liked him. 
And so we've been friends ever since then. So when, you know, people call him racist and 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 Republican and Trump adjacent and and pro-cop, which you know, of course, means pro-police violence brutality. and abuse and brutality. Yeah. Like it's like they couldn't be more wrong. Like I know the man, I know the person. And so um, yeah, it's it's like anyone, it's uh, difficult to witness a friend being categorized in that way and, and kind of attacked. And so, you know, I took it a little bit personally sometimes. So I was a very proud and remain a very proud supporter of his because I, I know, love and respect him as a person. Did you ever get any questions from anybody about how he found you for that commercial? Because I think there were a oh, lot yeah. of assumptions that he needed a quota. Was well, yeah, trying he, to represent. Oh was yeah, scouting around. Or oh, just, you know, had a staffer drive through a Hilarious. Portland neighborhood and, and somebody and, and handed him a fiber and oh, said, yeah. "Hey, could you be in a commercial?" Oh yeah, hey, hey, um, token black guy, will you be in this yeah, commercial? Like yeah. so insulting. Yes, I have been questioned about it more times than than like, i can do you count really know him like how for how long for what for 10 minutes yeah. you know i i can imagine how those conversations would go yeah yeah and you know when so renee is he's, he's a great guy and we one of the things we do he, he trains with me also and one of the things that we do you oh, know we, i didn't know that we we oh, uh, we okay. also do so he's trying to watch his carbs yeah yeah i'll tell you he, that he's he trying real hard it's hard for him he but is he's trying he is he, meant, he talks about it a lot so we we you know he put he we we do some boxing training some some martial okay. arts and boxing training it. which is really really super fun and so you know it's uh it's it's it was interesting to hear people question me about being in a commercial, supporting a friend and client and someone, you know, I've known for years. I met long before he had any political aspirations at all. And and so, you know, again, it's just the assumptions people make um, about, you know, people of color. Like, like, I would do that in the first place. I would never be the token Black in any situation. Like, it, it's just... If to know me at all is to know that. And so. Right. Yeah, so it, what an insulting question, yeah. especially if the question was coming from somebody who who you would consider a, a friend or even a friendly acquaintance. Yeah. 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 What, what an insulting question yeah. that would be. So since we have you here and you're a personal trainer and a nutrition expert, tell me a bit about your nutritional regimen and give us some tips give our audience some tips about what they need to be doing to stay in shape and what 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 should they eat like talk to me about what you eat and i'm sure you have some weaknesses and if you're comfortable divulging those please do because it will make all of us feel more human because if anybody's seen you they know you look superhuman um i love sugar I'm I'm a big fan of ice cream. I'm a big fan of cake. I'm a big fan of certain pies, especially Aaron's homemade key lime pie, yeah. which is absolutely amazing. Like, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of of yummy sweet treats. But what I do um is try to balance that with output. You know, calories in, calories out kind of thing. And and, you know, for people who, and one of the things I try to teach my clients and, and help them understand is 
you've got 30 minutes. You do. I don't care who you are. I don't care how busy your lifestyle. I don't care how challenging your job or your kids or your... You, you, you've got 30 minutes to go for a walk. You've got 30 minutes that you can pedal a bike. You've got I, somewhere you you in your day, in habit. your life. You have to make it a habit, though. And I so, do anyway. And so if you can build that habit, you know, whether it's true or not, you know, there's some debate, you know, it takes two weeks to build a habit, you know, whatever. Right. But the point is, if you can can find a way to discipline yourself enough to get that output, a couple, a few or more days a week, it'll balance some of that out. I think that you should enjoy your life. I love food. I love a juicy marbled steak. I love amazing pasta. I love all kinds of sweets. We love to dine out. We love to travel. I don't care what motivates a person. We were on vacation a few years back and I had let you know, my workouts are almost always consistent, but sometimes my cardio and my food intake um, don't line up. Yeah. And yes, especially on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and there was, there was a guy, you know, on this vacation who was in, in, in really great shape and, and, you know, I was in no way in any real competition or threatened by this guy's existence. I was in fact motivated by it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what, Brian, you, you've got to bring your cardio back. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 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 a similar frame to the one you have. That's, you know, a similar build. And, the, and, and so sometimes, whether it's vanity or, you know, competitiveness or aesthetics or, you know, just a, a desire to improve the quality of your life overall or whatever motivates you, that's a good thing. I don't care, you know, I don't care what it is. So an hour... I, mean, I metabolize, I metabolize yeah. nothing. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be 46. Yeah. I can't metabolize a peanut. Yeah, so so here's the thing. So, so an hour a day is really good. An hour a day is, is actually really good. And so, you know especially if that bag of Doritos isn't a regular occurrence. I mean, oh, how, how, it, it how certainly is not. Yeah. So I mean, so, if I, if, 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 if I see that and everybody's asleep, it, it's going in the trash Yeah. because otherwise yeah. I'm going to eat it. So yeah. it's got to go in the trash. Yeah. So, so an hour a day is, is actually really, really good. It is. I mean, that's, that's way more than most people. And it's definitely enough. What is your best advice for, people who are let's say like late 30s early 40s mm-hmm. um so again you know i come back to moderation but i'll say let, let me say this i mean we live in america late late so 30s not it's really hard it's if you really have hard children forget it i mean you've got bags of doritos and a large popcorn and a large coke at the movie theater is like you know a vat of popcorn and a half gallon of soda like there's so many things about our culture that that needs to change but but i would say lift weights 2 to 3 times a week cardio 2 to 3 times a week if you're talking about that specific age group i think that you could have great success there but people have to learn how to eat better because all this guesswork sure the information's out there you can google this and you can guess at that but for everything that you like there's someone who's saying that's not the right way. 
do eat meat. Don't eat meat. Eat dairy. Don't eat dairy. There's there's Isn't so much information. Some things work for some people and some don't work. That's for right. Others, and you need to figure out what works. What for works you. for you? There's In a, your lifestyle. Yeah. Right. So educating yourself and like there's so many tools. Too many, but there are so many tools. Like we were at dinner the other night and. You know, uh, Aaron has this, you know, Apple Watch, and it, you know, monitors your heart rate, and right. you know, tells your you to, yeah, get up you. when you've been sitting too long, and right. so and so. You know, we're passing the watch around, and we're checking our resting heart rates, and we're, you know, we're we're, we're downing sushi at Yama, which is, you know, so delicious, good. so good. And so, you know, like sometimes I think there's such a thing as being too connected and too informed, and it just and it keeps us in this place where, you know, we're just thinking about it, you know, all the time. And and I'm sure you know this with, you know, your beautiful kids. Like, like you want to teach healthy habits and you want to, but you don't want to be responsible for helping them to develop all these issues. Here's, this is something that I'm really picking up on. So um, Aaron, you, Courtney, a few other, you know, my mom. Like, I'm really, I I am very happy to be surrounded by really strong, intelligent, smart, driven, also pretty women. Like, I think that, that it's, it's, so when it comes to our kids, I don't, I don't worry about those things so much uh, for the same reasons, what I do, who I am. What she does, who she is, we try to teach. Oh, I'm just honest these, about. It. I these, just say yeah. you can have your McDonald's, but mommy can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm like, after a certain age, you just can't. So yeah, enjoy and, it. and you know, have we a good tell time. them enjoy that happy meal. You, you can have that, you know, Chick Fil A and what is it, Chick Fil A and Dutch Bros. Like that's oh, like, that's, that's mine too. Oh, that's that's, that's like my the kids yeah, too. that's the go to. And so you know, it is the go to. And so we're like, hey, this is good today. However. Not again until you know next weekend or you know a week and a half and give it you know, twenty four hours. Keep, 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 so, yeah, yeah. For keep, us, it's like look, we're good if we can get yeah twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, I you know and it, it's it's fascinating to watch because I'll tell you some of the stuff that I used to shovel down when I was a kid that you know gives me heartburn just to look at I now know. and and so you know things change but you know you have to change with it so have you always been a fit guy so i was born uh two months early i was a preemie you were and, yeah yeah i was a preemie and so you know my Holy name breon the uh, idea that you would be small is... yeah yeah my mom said she could fit me in the, in the palms of her, her hands and so so you know i had some exercise induced asthma and that kind Whoa. of thing as a as a kid but I've always been a hard charger. So, you know, my friends are running and, you know, I'd kind of lose my breath a little. I'd be tired and I was kind of embarrassed. And so then I'd catch up and they'd keep going and then I'd catch up. And and I think I just pushed so hard that uh, as I got older and the more I saw doctors, and they're like, uh, yeah, whatever was going on with them has completely reversed. Because I think output, output, output exercise and activity and so i think i i subconsciously learned as well as the fact that you know as a kid i loved superheroes and comic books and and all that stuff um but i think i learned really early uh that exercise can change your life 
And so when I went into the armed forces, you know, I'm studying martial arts and I'm competing as a martial artist and I'm boxing and I'm, you know, all these things. Um, I just had so many positive experiences and relationships with exercise that uh, that ultimately um, I'm not super surprised that 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 it became my career later because it really does change people's lives for the better. So, yeah, I've always been, I've definitely always been pretty fit. I've absolutely always been an athlete and involved in athletics in some capacity or another. And, and you know, I love, you know, using that experience and gift and education to improve other people's lives. It's, it's a calling. So I'll tell, um, and I'll tell one of the most meaningful stories um of my fitness journey and it's kind of um and it'll kind of help you understand my approach to fitness i had a client years ago um who's a dentist and then like some dentists after um his career he became a jeweler um and so I didn't know that was common. Yeah. So, you know, that's interesting. Moldings and crafting oh, and working with, okay. you know, Metal. metals. And and so, yeah. yeah. So so this guy was also a big Harley guy. Like he, you know, he loved his hog right. and he's a right. relatively thin guy. And and, you know, you see him, you know, with the with the silver mustache, goatee and, you know, long locks and you know, his Wrangler jeans and his boots, and you, you, you see a tough... This is a former dentist? Yeah, you see, a, you, see you know, but in Colorado. So, you know, okay. Colorado cowboy type. And so uh, he, you know, riding his hog, and um, he gets home. He's never worked with a trainer in his life, you know, whatever. But he's exercised a little bit here and there, and he felt like he's in pretty good shape because he's relatively thin and, and so on. And the guy gets home and he's walking his hog into the garage, backing it up to park it next to the car. And he falls, slips. The bike has pinned him oh my between his car and the wall. And he and it's cutting off circulation in his leg. And he cannot lift this bike off of him enough to be safe. He's calling out for his wife he's you know she's nowhere to be found you know no one can hear him out there in the garage you know etc and he's out there for probably I think he said an hour hour and a half and he has just enough strength to keep the circulation from being completely cut off in his leg but he can't get this bike off of him enough to step over it and the next day um, he found me and he, oh he's telling me about his his experience and how he almost died. And if it had been any longer, it would have cut off circulation in his leg and and, you know, he might have passed out. And who knows what would have happened from there? Stroke, cut off oxygen to the brain. Like yeah. there's so many things. Yeah. Um, and in that conversation, he also told me there was a time. Before that, when that he ignored, they were on vacation in Hawaii and he had swam to the end of the pool and he decided he was going to get out and he put his hands on to push himself out and he couldn't push himself up and he was super embarrassed. And, you know, of course, you think everybody noticed, even though no one did. He swims to the other side and he walks up the stairs. 
And he realized how weak he had become, but he did nothing about it. Then, then this thing happens with the bike, and uh, he is beside himself. Uh, so he hired me as a trainer to help him strengthen. We worked for a while. We talked nutrition. We got him, you know, working consistently from just really the most minimal stuff to over time and over the course of a year or so, he developed an incredible amount of strength and stamina, endurance, and, and, and his body started to change and so on. And so I surprised him one day and it was time for his session. And I had already talked to his wife and I talked to his kids and a couple friends and, and they brought him, they, uh, he came to a session, but they snuck his bike, his motorcycle to the gym. And I was like, hey, we're not training in the gym today. We're going to train in this place, you know, by the gym. And he shows up there and he's got his workout clothes on and he sees his people and his motorcycle. And so he's like, what's going on here? And I had him take his bike and drop it and stand on it, pick it up, drop it to the other side, stand on it, pick it up. And he did this. So many times I had him doing push-ups and then stopping and picking his bike up just so that he had the confidence that if something were to happen again, he'd be okay. That's amazing. Kristen, within 20 That's minutes like of this workout, oh my God, I'm I'm trying to hold it together. Within 20 minutes of this workout, we're all crying. We're like clapping and applauding him and hugging one another. And it was just really super meaningful and that is my personal approach to fitness like it's all about improving a person's life finding where the holes are and filling them in so you know that's my advice would be aside from hire me the the uh my advice would really be take it slow be progressive find out what works for you and 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 just do that and keep doing it and and you will succeed. So before we wrap things up, is there anything else that I mean, we've kind of said it all, but if there is there anything else you want to talk about or you want people to know, we should talk about your gym. Like where do people find you? Is it yeah, website? Yeah. So so um on Facebook and Instagram, my my handle on Instagram is Daddy Brian, and that that kind of is a throwback from when the kids were were younger. But I'm also Brian, B-R-E-O-N at bodybalancetechniques.com on Instagram. Um, you can find me on the on the web. Um, you know, just Google it. But yeah, the address is 121 Southwest Morrison Street. I'm in suite number 225. That's between Morrison and Alder Streets um, on Second Avenue, just a few blocks from here. Um, so yeah, super easy to find, and and yeah, would 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 love to make more connections. And then, do you have people come into your gym, or do you ever do like if somebody would was willing to pay an extra fee, would you do a house call? So I primarily, almost exclusively, do in the gym because you have all your equipment. All my equipment's there. Obviously, I pay a lease there. You know, other employees. I love having the energy in the gym. Yeah. You know, et cetera. I'm so so. That's my preference, but. Um, um, I do some house calls and yes, there is an additional fee because obviously of course, gas prices are insane. You got to get there and go, which but means also I can't it's see a luxury. An- yeah, and I, and I can't see another person in the time that I'm on the road coming yeah. and going. And so, so I do see people in their, in their homes and if they're comfortable, 
paying that elevated fee to have me come, uh, then I will definitely do that. So do you uh, see people one at a time in your gym or do you do you have a number of people doing things that so some they can people, do on their own? So, so, so I see people one-on-one or small groups. Um, um, I do, uh, boot camps where oh, it can do? be as many okay. as six, eight or 10 oh, people. Uh, sometimes we get out on the waterfront when it's not overrun with our houseless neighbors, you right. know, like there's, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to approach it, rare. but, but yeah, I, I do all of it. I do, I do zoom appointments. I do, um, wow. in-house, okay. but that's, you know, uh, again, more, uh, more expensive for the in-house, uh, or I do, uh, uh, I see people at the gym one-on-one or groups. Uh, and I have another couple of trainers who work for me. So, uh, you know, if for whatever reason, my schedule doesn't employees allow it. and everything. Yeah. 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 I got it. I got it. But if people want you, mm-hmm. they need to call and specifically request you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, and when you do call the business or when you message, I mean, you're getting me anyway. And so for people who, um, for whom it's not so, uh, it's not necessarily essential that they work with me, sometimes they'll still end up with me or uh, in other times they'll end up with others. I mean, I have, I have trainers that sometimes people prefer for, you know, whatever reason. Right, sure. and so, or maybe um, they want a woman or maybe yeah, they want, yeah. 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 So, you know, it's, it's, you know, client choice. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you came in. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. In. I'm really happy to finally meet you in person. I know. And I'm a big fan of the podcast oh, and, thanks, and of our little network of, of, of friends. I so am too. It, it's, it's good that we finally made the connection. I know. I feel yeah. like I already know you, but now yeah. I actually, yeah, um, me too. and I knew your face because we connected on social media, yeah. but now um, it's nice to sit across from you in person and oh, thank um, you. I look thank forward you. to maintaining our in-person relationship 100 percent. i absolutely agree thanks again yeah so much fun thank you